last week we had Vision Sunday in which we talked about all that God has been doing in our church, especially in 2019 and also plans that we have for 2020. But this week we're returning to our series, Something Greater is Here. And this is actually how Jesus described himself in relationship to what God had done in the Old Testament. He always says, something greater is here. So each week in this series, what we've done is started with some kind of deep human desire in us. Then we see how God fulfills that for someone in the Old Testament. But then how Jesus fulfills that desire in an even deeper way in the New Testament. And this week, the desire that we're talking about is the deep human desire for atonement. Now, if you've never heard that word, maybe you're not a Christian and that doesn't really ring any bells for you. Basically, what it means uh, generally is reparation for a wrong. But for Christians, atonement takes on a kind of deeper meaning. It's, it's about reconciliation between us in, and God. So something in us separates us from God and we need union. We need something to overcome the obstacle between us and God. And whether or not you're a Christian, I bet that you felt a desire for atonement. Um, A few weeks ago, uh, Alice and I both got home after work. Uh, We were going to make some rice and some curry. And so I got uh, two uh, cups of rice, uh, two cups of water. Uh, We're kind of in a routine with this at at this point. And I dumped them in something called an instant pot. Now, uh, she had asked for this instant pot for Christmas. My parents had given it to her and we've been using it throughout January. So I grabbed the two cups of water, the two cups of rice. I dumped them in the instant pot. I look back and I say, Allison, do you want me to put some salt in there? And she says, yes. I grab the salt and I'm about to throw salt into this instant pot when I realize that the bowl that is supposed to be in the instant pot is definitely not in the instant pot and I have dumped water and rice over wires. This thing is plugged in. I mean, we could have blown up our apartment. But I look at Allison, and and this is a unique moment when you destroy a gift that your mom gave to your wife. I mean, it's it's a unique and devastating experience. And no joke, we we were silent. We were silent for like a minute straight, looking at this destroyed instant pot. And no joke, only a minister would say this, but I was like, I want atonement. (laughs) What, What can I do to make up for this? And I bet if you've done wrong to anyone, whether you've destroyed something, a gift that your mom gave to your wife, or anything else, when you've wronged someone, I bet you've had that just initial desire, I want to make up for this. I want to make amends. I want to compensate for the money lost. I want to rectify the situation. I want to make it right. What you're wanting is atonement because there's something in between you and the person you want to have a good relationship with. And sometimes, even though we desire that, you realize you can't make up for it. Sometimes it's it's too big. 
It's too much of a mess. What's done cannot be undone. And this is what Christians have said about our relationship to God. When you begin to account for all the evils in the world, there is nothing we can do to atone for what we've done. We, we know that we need atonement, but we can't atone for our own sins. We need it. We need reconciliation with God, but we just can't accomplish it on our own. Centuries ago, God promised a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah that they would have a son. But after decades of trying, they actually never could conceive, and they had finally just given up. But God appears to both of them, and he says you'll have a son, and it will be between the two of you. And they waited and they waited and waited for 25 years, and finally God fulfills that promise. Abraham and Sarah have many happy years with their son Isaac until God tests Abraham. God tells him to take his one and only son, whom he loves, up a mountain range called Moriah. He tells Abraham to offer Isaac as a burnt sacrifice to God. And this is not a metaphor. God tells this father to sacrifice his son on a pile of wood. And we just don't know everything we wish we could know about this story. The author of it is brutally sparse in his details. We do know that in ancient cultures, the hopes of a family would often rest on the firstborn son. So for God to ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac is like asking a surgeon to cut off his hands. A painter to never paint again. It's not just losing your loved one. It's losing your whole future. And it's, it's likely that Isaac was not a boy. Sometimes he's depicted this way, but he was probably a young man. We know that he carries the wood meant for the burnt offering all the way up a mountain, something a a young boy could never do. Most frustratingly, we are told what the binding of Isaac was like. Did Isaac know what was going on? Did he resist it? Did he do this willingly? We just aren't told. But we do know that Isaac knows something is missing because he asks, Father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answers very mysteriously, God himself will provide the lamb, comma, my son. We know that on the third day of their journey, Abraham and Isaac reached the mountaintop. We know that Isaac is bound in one way or another, and Abraham, his one and only father, raises a knife to kill his son. But as the knife is raised, an angel of the Lord prevents him and calls out and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Abraham looks from his son up to the thicket, and he sees a ram. Caught in it. Abraham had said, on the way up the mountain, God will provide a lamb, and God provides this ram. Abraham and Isaac offered the ram as a sacrifice, and they say, 
the Lord has provided. Now, we don't see another sacrificial lamb for generations. It's not until Isaac's descendants end up enslaved in Egypt that they offer sacrificial lambs. They're enslaved by the Egyptian ruler Pharaoh, and uh, God sends a message to Pharaoh to let his people go. But uh, Pharaoh's heart is very hard, so God sends plague after plague after plague to convince him to let the Israelites go, none of which actually work until the tenth and final plague. God sends a destroying angel, that's what it's called, that will kill every single firstborn son in the land. But God tells the Israelites that the only way to prevent this nightmare for them is to sacrifice a lamb. Just like what was sacrificed centuries earlier on Mount Moriah. And God is very specific about what kind of lamb that he wants. He says it has to be an unblemished male lamb. The best of the best. And each Israelite family has to bring the lamb into their home, sacrifice it to cover their sins. They, they have to spread the blood of the lamb across the doorposts of their home. They even use this, this small plant called hyssop as a kind of paintbrush to put over the doorposts. And, and God, he, he's so specific. He says, you, you should not, under any circumstances, break the bones of the lamb. The point is not to leisurely enjoy this lamb. You need to eat it quickly and be ready. Because as soon as Pharaoh lets up, you need to leave Egypt. On that fateful night called Passover, the Israelites do exactly what God commands. And all of their firstborn sons are saved. Again, God provides the lamb instead of the sons of Israel. And, and God doesn't just make this a one-time meal. He instructs them every single year, you need to celebrate this Passover. Every single year, halfway through the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, around March or April, you need to relive this. Each year, you need to get another unblemished male lamb. Each year, you need to sacrifice it to eat it. And each year, I want the sons of every single house to ask their father what this means, and the father will explain it. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared us. No matter where Jews lived... They would celebrate this truth. God does not make us offer up our children to him. Other cultures did this, but we don't. Our God provides the lamb. We do not give our sons. God always provides the sacrifice to cover our sins. About 2,000 years ago, uh, the Jews celebrated Passover in Jerusalem while under the rule of the Roman Empire. And thousands upon thousands of Jews would flock to the city every single year. There's one historian named Josephus who said 250,000 lambs were sacrificed. Even if that's exaggerated, it was surely a sight 
to behold. I mean, if you were a young Jewish boy and you went up to the temple for Passover, you would have seen these sacrifices. All Jewish children, even centuries after the Exodus, would know, my God delivered my people from Egypt. And my God never asks my parents to sacrifice me. He always provides the lamb. But there was was one young Jewish boy in particular who was a little bit different. He would have seen how these lambs were sacrificed and the image would have been burned into his mind. Because in order to roast the lambs over an open fire, the ancient Jews would drive one piece of wood through the shoulders of the lamb. And they would drive another piece of wood from its mouth uh, through its body. So this young Jewish boy would have seen sacrificed lambs with wood across their shoulders and down their backs. He grew older, and it became a little bit more clear who he was. Because he went to Jerusalem in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, around March or April, to celebrate Passover. And in the week leading up to Passover, he went into a Jewish temple, which just so happened to be built on a mountain range called Moriah. And the Romans unjustly executed him. Based on all these false allegations... They kill him. And they kill him by something called crucifixion. And if you don't know how how cruel this is, you need to know because crucifixion requires two pieces of wood that would be nailed together and then placed on the ground. The crucified person would be laid on them and then nailed to the pieces of the wood. In other words, there would be one piece of wood across the shoulders and one piece of wood down the back. The cross would then be raised up on a busy intersection so people could see you don't mess with Rome or else you get this. And over hours and hours and hours, the crucified man would slowly die of suffocation. And the Romans did everything they could to make this death humiliating. They, they would even, they, they made this man in particular carry the wood of his own cross on his shoulders up the mountain. To mock him, they took some wine and they put it on a sponge and then put that sponge on a little plant called hyssop. And they raised it up to him to drink. And when he drank from it, he said, it is finished, and he died. In some cases, Romans wanted to end the crucifixion quickly so they would break the bones of the crucified so they couldn't lift themselves up to breathe anymore. But when they came to this man... He had already died, so they did not break his bones. Centuries before that man was crucified, Abraham said to his only son Isaac, God will provide a lamb. And then 2,000 years ago, God did provide a lamb. An unblemished, perfect male without broken bones. A man who, when he was crucified, his blood soaked into the wood, just like doorposts in Egypt. Wooden posts, one of which went across his shoulders and one down his back, just as everyone was celebrating Passover, just like the lambs sacrificed half 
halfway through the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, Jesus is the new Passover lamb. He is provided by God for your sins and mine. And God knew the whole time exactly what he was doing. But Jesus is something else, too. He's also the new one and only Son. Because He carried the wood up the mountain range called Moriah. And He participated in this sacrifice. Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb, but we just didn't know that the lamb would be God himself. God never, ever, ever, ever tells us to sacrifice our children to him. So God himself came and sacrificed himself for us. And on the third day, the lamb rose from the dead. The very same day that Isaac was saved. This is how Jesus thinks of his own mission to us. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says that he will accomplish his departure in Jerusalem. And that word for departure is exodon, which means exodus. I am going to accomplish an exodus. For myself and for my people. We are the new Israelites who have been freed because of the Lamb who atones for our sins. When Jesus reclines at the table with his disciples while celebrating Passover, he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And just like a Jewish father would explain to his sons, Jesus explains the meaning of this meal. But instead of talking about a lamb's body and blood, he talks about his body and blood. He says, this is my body given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Jesus is not only the new Passover lamb, he is also the new Isaac, the one and only son given for us. But at the same time, he's greater than any other Passover lamb. Because unlike any lamb that needed to be sacrificed, that happened over and over and over and over again for the Israelites. They would sin. They would wait for atonement, and then they would sin and wait for atonement. But Christ's sacrifice covers over our sins for eternity. Hebrews 9 says it this way. Christ entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, obtaining eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself again without blemish to God, how much more will He purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God? Or to summarize it all, He has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of Himself. He is the greater Passover Lamb. There is a deep desire in every single one of us to atone for our sins. We want to make amends. We want to rectify the situation. We want to make wrong things right. But when you start to account for all that you've done, you realize you just can't. You just can't. And so without Christ, you're left in that situation. But with Him, all of your sins are atoned once and for all. That is really good news. Something greater, someone greater has come. And He has already atoned for all of our sins. His cousin, John the Baptist, prepared for His coming. And in the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John's disciples see Jesus coming from a distance. And John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The other Passover lambs were sacrificed for the sins of Israel. But what John says is his sacrifice takes away the sin of the whole world. He is the greater Lamb who has come to take away the sin of the world. Yours and mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for sending Your Son who sacrificed His own life for our sins. And He did that Willingly, joyfully, freely, of His own accord, because He loves every single one of us, every single person in this room. He's the greater Passover Lamb, the greater Isaac. Thank you for that gift. We know we need atonement, but we know we... We can't atone for our own sins. With Abraham, we say, the Lord provides. We pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.